Our first scripture reading this morning is from the 17th chapter of Genesis, found on pages 12 and 13 in the Old Testament of your pew Bible. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come before you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come before her. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. On one Sunday, and the pulpit light's not working. Ah, there we go. There we go. Somebody broke it. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, we can put a rocket on the moon sideways and remove brain tumors, but the pulpit light is annoying. Anyway... Gospel according to Mark, we're looking at the 8th chapter, verses 31 through 38. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. Jesus said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get me behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wished to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Join your hearts with me in prayer. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable unto you alone, O Lord, for only you have the words of eternal life, our strength, our salvation. Amen. So where are you this morning? Where are you? Do you remember the game Marco Polo? Remember that? You play it in a swimming pool. Somebody yells Mar- Marco and somebody else yells back Polo. The one who's calling out Marco has got their eyes closed or at least allegedly have their eyes closed. And 
all of the polos keep moving around the pool. It's like a, an aquatic blind man's bluff game. Um, the game does not trace its origin to the explorer Marco Polo. Um, there seems to be no relationship. While some have retrospectively claimed that Marco Polo didn't exactly know where he was going and kind of stumbled on Asia, uh, but that has nothing to do with the game. Although I love that Geico commercial where they're playing Marco Polo with Marco Polo, but that's for another time. It's a form of echolocation. You ask, where are you? And that's what Jesus asked his disciples. Where, where are you with all of this thing that we are doing? Because if you're just blindly following after me, I need you to open your eyes so that you can see clearly. You need to know that the story of Jesus is going to have a very, very ugly middle. You need to know that the story is starting out well now, but there is going to be some persecution. In fact, there's going to be rejection. There's going to be crucifixion. The story will improve after that. But if you don't understand that it's going to get worse before it gets better, then you're going to be extremely confused. And so, as Mark says, Jesus begins to speak to them about the coming days quite plainly. Peter says, stop it. Don't talk about the bad stuff. Don't talk about this ugly middle ground. You don't know that's going to happen. You don't know what's unfolding. I mean, you know, it's going really well. And for that, Jesus calls Peter Satan, the great prosecutor, the tempter who asks us to look for short-term gain without any long-term pain. That's what Satan does in Scripture. Have it now. Make it good. Enjoy it. Jesus then turns to the crowd and tells them in verse 834, they must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow him. For as Jesus says then in verse 35, those who want to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. Now, this being the season of Lent, you can understand how Mark 34 and 38, 34, and 35 is intended to be included in this, our Lenten journey. Jesus is asking for the true followers to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. Jesus is asking them to set aside their satisfactions of selfish desire in order to take up the greater cause of desiring Christ. Don't bother with that piece of steak especially on a Friday, or that mouth-watering candy here in the season of Lent. Deny yourself, and then you can have a wonderful Easter where you can dive into those chocolate bunny ears without regret. Of course, you know, I'm going to ask you to take this a little bit deeper than just jelly beans and prime rib, right? Because when Jesus sets for the true tension in the passage in verse 36, he says, For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Now, you probably learned that verse differently, didn't you? 
you probably learned it more gender specific. What will it do to profiteth a man to gain his whole life but lose his, and traditionally it's translated lose his soul, right? But the translators here in the Revised Standard Version said to lose his life. Traditionally, when we say losing soul, we've grown accustomed to hearing that, that, that project, that passage, as the prophet in gaining the whole world but losing your soul, pointing to a temporary denial of self in order to save our little Fannie Mae's for heaven. Right? Lent becomes a mini parallel to this cosmic destiny. We put up a little bit of self-denial here during these 40 days, a little discomfort now, but in the end, we will be rewarded with great indulgence. But the Revised Standard Translators take this passage to a little more unfamiliar space, but it is more textually consistent. Because the word translated life in verse 35 as in saving and losing life, is the same word in verse 36. Psychane, with a P. Psychane, from which we get the word psyche. That internal sense of self, the location of our identity. Where are we? Where do we locate our identity, that's the word that's translated life and translated soul. What does it profit to lose your identity in the process of getting the whole world? That sudden shift in translation uh, loosens that notion of a difference between soul and life, that split between the human condition and that mystical element of identity, the soul that is the part that we talk about going to heaven or hell, our bodies just sort of are here, and I guess depending upon how much candy you ate during Lent will determine the eternal destiny of your soul, no. Assuming your soul is somehow intertwined with an insatiable desire for Frango mints. I know, I shouldn't do that just before an annual meeting because you can't rush out and get any chocolate until after the meeting's over. Sorry about that. But what will one give in exchange for one's identity? It becomes a different question than in exchange for the soul. Hear the difference? What are you willing to sacrifice your identity to? It's very different than what are you going to do about your eternal soul? And that's the way that Jesus' listeners heard it. It's our problem with this whole post-Platonic thing, separating the body and the soul. Jesus' listeners saw it as all one coherent thing. They knew what he meant when he said psychen. What can you give for the life you choose to live the very identity of who you are. Where is that nestled? What is your polo to God's Marco? Where are you? Because Jesus says if your core identity is rooted or is nested in yourself, you've lost before you even begin. We tend to think of self-denial as kind of a moral suppression, right? 
that too can be extremely self-centered. I am denying myself this indulgence so that I can fit into my closet of skinny clothes. Already paid for them, and some of them are really pretty good looking, and I got some suits that I, so I'm going to deny myself, not for a higher good, but for selfish outcomes. I deny myself so that I can be smarter or stronger or more popular. I can even deny myself so that myself can go to heaven, which in a lot of cases is the most selfish motivation of church folk. Jesus says when the Son of Man comes in his glory, with the Father and the holy angels, if all of your identity is self-centered, it's going to be embarrassing. We will be ashamed of you, Jesus says, if the only thing you have your identity rooted within is yourself. Jesus commends a far less embarrassing, less shame-filled option, and that was losing the self for his sake, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others' well-being. It's what Jesus has been doing in the Gospel of Matthew for the last few chapters. He's been healing the sick, bringing speech to the mute, bringing food to the 5,000. If you want something that even sounds strangely contemporary, in the previous chapter, Jesus releases the daughter of a Syrophoenician woman from a tortured demonic condition. He brought peace to the heart of a Syrian mother. Does that sound contemporary or what? To lose our lives for Christ's sake and for the sake of the gospel is to locate ourselves, our psyche, in a compassionate, constructive, consistent care for others. When Jesus rebukes Peter, get behind me, Satan, in verse 33, he tells Peter that you are fixated on your own stuff. That's satanic. Fixated on divine things, Jesus commends, the people around you, the one whom God loves. And when we locate ourselves and our identity and our personhood, our psyche in the activity of loving others, the richness, the inheritance, the legacy lives beyond ourselves, even into generations to come. Now, we're standing on the cusp of an annual meeting, congregational meeting of the First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. We have had about 133 of these. In a few moments, we're going to look at the administration, the work, the ministries of this congregation from 2023, the previous year. What's going to stand? What's going to be the legacy of our time together? What will be remembered because we did all of these things over the last year? Is it, is it going to be, oh, look how wonderfully we took care of ourselves? how glorious it was that we got to, to be together. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful. As it's nice to be nice to the nice, and everyone here is nice, right? Or will we flourish as a church because of our selflessness? That we choose not to be intertwined with self-indulgence, but we choose to be about the business of following the gospel. Now, I don't think it's all that hard to imagine how our future is not 
nestled or comfortable in the things that we just make for ourselves. It's nested in this community of faith in compassion, in grace, in love for the world around us and for the people that inhabit that world, people whom God loves and for whom Jesus the Messiah gave his life, people who ate food from our garden, enriched their souls in the shared music and celebration, people all the way off in El Salvador who are drinking fresh water and so they don't get intestinal parasites that would keep them from work or from school. People who have learned that they are valuable because in a small group someone said, are you okay? Or in women's ministry someone said, you know what, I'm going to pick you up and you're coming here anyway because you need to be with us. Or the little kids who are right now up in faith for us, finding out that they are precious in God's sight. That is the work of those who deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow Christ. On a very personal note, I've felt it from you. I've always felt it from you, but acutely during the last 12 days or so, in the hospital rooms, in the family waiting room and surgery, in the intensive care unit, back in a hospital room, and now home. Isn't that amazing? Wednesday, the neurosurgeon pulled a fist-sized tumor out of Danny's brain, and then they immediately sent her home. Um, and it was all very odd, because now she's home. She's with her sister. I didn't leave her alone. Physical therapy is coming later this morning. But she wanted, let me, wanted me to let you know that she has felt the encouragement, the prayers, the consistency, the way in which you have stepped outside of yourselves, not thinking about what you need, but thinking lovingly about others. It's locating ourselves in the faith of God. It's a legacy beyond the petty values of self-indulgence. So powerfully life-changing that when someone says, where are you? Your answer is consistently and unsurprisingly from people who know you well. I'm over here looking after someone else. That is your polo when someone cries, Marco. It's living out the gospel for the sake of others whom God loves. It's believing and living into the covenant, the promise of protection even the protection of your own psyche, your own very identity, your life knitted together in service because that's where God calls you to be. That's righteousness of the highest order, not keeping the rules of Lent and checking off the things that you gave up or the extra things you did. That is actually just a scheme to make short-term gain look acceptable. But long-term gain, what God desires for you is that stepping out of yourself. What Jesus calls taking up the cross. 
It may not look good to others around you. Others may even find it confusing because you don't always look cool or successful or popular. But you know what? When you demonstrate care and compassion and love to others, even if you find it a little embarrassing, Jesus says, when I come, I'll be proud of you. Not ashamed. The gospel of the Lord. Amen. Please stand and join with me in the affirmation of faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, Ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 